ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Welcome to ID the Future. I'm Eric Anderson, and today we'll be listening to the third and final part of my conversation with Dr. Casey Luskin about his chapters in the new book, The Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith. We've been talking about the positive case for intelligent design, and we now turn to a discussion of creationism, theistic evolution, and whether design is actually detectable in the history of life. Uh, Before we jump into some of these positive cases, can you just take a minute to address one red herring that often jumps up, which is ID is just creationism. How, How does ID differ from what would normally be understood as creationism and then maybe even theistic evolution? How is ID a better approach? Sure. And that's another common objection that ID is just warmed over creationism. We hear that all the time. I'm not sure what that means, but I do know that based upon both the common and the sort of textbook definitions of creationism, ID is not creationism. The common definition of creationism is the young earth creationist view that the earth is about you know six to 10,000 years old and was created in, in six 24-hour periods in just the last few thousand years. Well, ID is certainly compatible with folks who believe in a young earth. There are folks in the, from a young earth community that support intelligent design, but ID is not a theory about the age of the earth. ID is a theory of design. And ID does not claim that the earth is six to 10,000 years old. And in fact, there are many old earthers in the ID movement, myself included, who believe the earth is billions of years old. So ID is not a young earth creationist view. At the same time, the more textbook definition of creationism is basically supernatural or divine creation, typically associated with a theistic God. Now, certainly I think that you can make a good case that a theistic God is the identity of the designer. But when you're talking about, say, the the evidence for design in biology, the information in the DNA that encodes the bacterial flagellum, that information is simply a language-based code, contains high levels of specified complexity. It points to an intelligent cause. But that information is not telling us who the intelligent design agent was, uh, who the intelligent cause was. All we're seeing from the scientific evidence is that there is an intelligent cause. To go further and identify who that intelligent cause was is to go beyond what the scientific data alone can tell us. So intelligent design, especially in biology, is not getting into questions about whether the designer is natural or supernatural. And so for that reason, I would say that ID lacks the sort of the key qualities, which are the defining characteristics of creationism. And you know, Eric, I want to make the caveat here that we're talking about ID in biology. If you're talking about ID in physics and cosmology, it can be a somewhat different story because obviously in that case, you're talking about an intelligent agent that's capable of designing the universe and fine-tuning the entire macro architecture of the laws of the universe. I think it's safe to say that in that case, you would need a designer who is external to the universe in order to cause the Big Bang and bring the universe into existence and also fine-tune its laws. But when it comes down to the evidence for design in biology, there I think that there's really a difficult case that you can say, well, the evidence from biology is telling us that the designer is natural or supernatural or who the designer is. So we do have to be careful here to parse this out. But I think at the very least, the case for design in biology really leaves questions about the nature and identity of the designer unanswered. Maybe in physics and cosmology, you could go so far as to say, okay, yeah, we need a designer outside the universe but still, the, the point here is that ID is not actually focused on studying the designer. ID is focused on studying nature and looking for signs and evidence of design. And that's a real reversal 
from sort of a theological approach, which is what's taken by creationism, starting with the religious scripture and trying to back it up and trying to understand more about God, basically. Idea is more about trying to understand nature and starting with the evidence from nature. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Appreciate that clarification. Maybe I can share one thought and tell me if this makes sense. One of the things that I've thought, and by the way, I want to make it clear for our listeners, um, this is not in any way an effort to denigrate creationism or creationists. There's a lot of wonderful research going on and things going on in that area. We're just trying to draw the distinction here so that people understand yeah, clearly that's right. the distinction. So one of the ways that I've kind of thought about it is uh, ID does not start with a sacred text or an attempt to demonstrate the veracity of a sacred text, you know, whether that's Genesis or otherwise. Instead, ID looks at the scientific evidence and says, what does that show us? And so that's kind of the big distinction, I think, in my mind between the typical understanding of creationism, which is, hey, I've got a sacred text, which I hold to be true, and now I'm going to go find some evidence to support that. ID says, okay, what is the scientific evidence and where is it leading us? Does that make sense? Great, great way of framing it. I, I make that point a lot too, Eric, and I agree 100%. So what about this uh, concept of theistic evolution? How does ID differ from that? And why, why, in your view, is it a better approach? So yeah, so in the last few years, talking about whether ID matters, there are some Christians and people of faith who begin to say that ID is either not true, or if it is true, it doesn't matter. And they often call themselves theistic evolutionists or evolutionary creationists who believe that God used material evolutionary mechanisms to create life. And that we talked about this recently in a, in a podcast with Jay Richards, that there are different meanings of the term theistic evolution. It all depends on how you define evolution. Some people, when they say they're a theistic evolutionist, what they really mean is that God guided the history of life in a meaningful way. And folks who define theistic evolution that way, they may not realize it, but they're actually proponents of intelligent design. But there are more sort of uh, standard or textbook theistic evolutionists, people who actually believe that the history of life is the result of sort of apparently unguided evolutionary mechanisms. They might accept the standard neo-Darwinian paradigm, but they believe that this is the way that God did it. And so theistic evolution can mean different things to different people. But if we're talking about the sort of neo-Darwinian or unguided, apparently unguided version of theistic evolution, then this leads to some uh, questions, which is, how does God guide an apparently unguided process? Or does it make sense for a theist to say that life's history, it actually is guided, it just appears that it isn't? It's so absurd to hear someone saying this when Richard Dawkins, the atheist, is saying that life's history is not designed or guided, it just appears like it is, you know? So <laughs> I mean, it's just, well, you know, but what is driving this position? Well, at the end of the day, here's what I would say we want to know what's true. If unguided or apparently unguided evolutionary mechanisms are not a correct description of how life and the universe arose, then why would we want to adopt a theistic evolution viewpoint? We should follow the evidence where it leads. And if the evidence is not pointing towards this unguided history of life, then we don't want to be a theistic evolutionist. We want to be a proponent of intelligent design if we see actual empirical scientific evidence for design in nature. And so I think that for, at the end of the day, the question is what is true. But I will say this, for folks who are, are you know, interested in apologetics kinds of questions, we talk about this in the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith. Biologically speaking, theistic evolution is basically giving you no reasons to believe in God. It basically adopts a fully atheistic 
version of the creation myth and then baptizes it and says, well, this is the way God did it. There's no evidence that God was involved. We just take that as a sort of a, a, a measure or article of faith, but this is the way God did it. And as far as we can tell, the whole history of life looks unguided. Well, that's not a very compelling narrative to take to the world if you're trying to convince them that theism is true. At the end of the day, though, what matters is whether the evidence supports ID or an evolutionary view. And I think the evidence is on ID's side. And so we don't have to expend a lot of mental gymnastics and energy trying to figure out how to merge Darwinism with a Christian view or a Judeo-Christian view if Darwinism is not true. And it's much easier, I think, to harmonize science and faith when you take an intelligent design-based viewpoint. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the question there is, does nature give evidence of design or not, right? And part of the theistic evolution view, at least the standard version, as you've laid it out, is no, we can't detect design. So we can try to pretend or we can assume or we can claim that there's some hidden design behind the scenes that, that's going on. But if nature, in fact, gives evidence of design, then we have good reason to take the ID approach. And so that's a fundamental basic question. That brings us back to the first question you asked at the beginning of your other chapter, which is, you know, is it true in the first place? And and if it is, then we then we take that approach. Exactly. That that's the dividing line, and that's the most important question. Is there evidence for design in nature? I, I agree with you very much. And, and I just want to add. I mean, I know we all have uh, friends and colleagues and and coworkers and family members who are, maybe are struggling with these issues. And I certainly empathize, Casey, with somebody who says gee, I've been told all my life that evolution is true. And yet I feel that there's some purpose in life. I feel that there's something to this. We're not just in a you know, purposeless world as some of, some of the evolutionists have proposed. And so I'm trying to mesh those in my mind. And so the theistic evolution idea is very attractive in that way because it allows you to kind of say, well, you know, evolution's true, but this is the way God did it. And so I certainly empathize with people who don't have a lot of background or experience or haven't spent time studying these issues, that they would be tempted to go that route. And I think the wonderful thing about ID is to say, you don't have to make that intellectual compromise because in fact, there is evidence for design. There is evidence that there is purpose in, in, in the world, purpose in the universe, purpose in nature. And so that's the thing that's very freeing, I think, about approaching intelligent design and understanding that you don't have to make that intellectual compromise. Yeah, very much so, Eric. Sometimes folks in the evolution camp, whether they're atheist evolutionists or theistic evolutionists, they will attack um, intelligent design and say that it's forcing people to choose between science and faith. The science being evolution, and, the, and I guess for them, the, the faith being intelligent design or religion, I don't know. I don't think that intelligent design forces you to choose between science and faith because the evidence does support intelligent design. Intelligent yeah. design is what the scientific evidence is telling us. So if you're going an intelligent design route, you are finding that there is scientific evidence that shows that there is a designer who is responsible for life in the universe, which is obviously a very faith-friendly position. So I don't see any dichotomy between science and faith. What is forcing people to choose between science and faith is this claim that evolution is so true that we're not allowed to question it. That really, to me, is what forces people into these dichotomies and into these difficult questions that they have to deal with. Yeah, well said, well said. So in the time that we have left, I just want to have you take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about the positive case for design. We've talked about you know, this question of ID having a positive aspect to it in addition to the negative arguments, a great way that Mike Behe laid this out in his afterword of his book. 
Tell us about the science moving forward. It's incredibly valuable, of course, for us to understand the past and have a solid paradigm for understanding what may have happened in the deep, long history of the universe or biology. But does ID bring anything to the table in terms of helping us better understand how biology actually works on the ground today, or perhaps even serving as a paradigm to guide research going forward? Absolutely, Eric. In fact, part of what we're doing at Discovery Institute through the ID 3.0 research program is to help scientific researchers to test the predictions of intelligent design. And I know that, Eric, you're involved with this as well in the engineering research group. There's a lot of great research going on right now. One of the most exciting things about intelligent design in the 2020s, and of course, this has been going on for the last 20, 25 years that we've been funding scientific research, but we're seeing that ID is making predictions which can be tested. So for example, in, in protein science, ID is encouraging scientists to do research to find out if there are high levels of complex and specified information in the form of fine-tuning of protein and enzyme sequences. Also, not just in biology, in physics and cosmology, ID is inspiring scientists to go out and find examples of fine-tuning and the laws of constants in physics. We have uh, folks like Guillermo Gonzalez, who based upon their ID paradigms, came up with new fine-tuning arguments like the galactic habitable zone. This also has implications for proper cosmological models of the universe and whether we can explain away fine-tuning through a multiverse. There's all kinds of guidance that intelligent design can give cosmology and physics. Information theory, we got a lot of mathematicians interested in intelligent design who are trying to understand what is the type of information that is produced when an intelligent agent acts and how can we detect that information in nature? So the idea is open up a whole new field of information theory that's bearing good fruit, allowing us to detect design. Pharmacology, ID is directing both experimental and theoretical research into how limitations on the ability of Darwinian evolution to evolve new traits can allow us to better fight things like antibiotic resistance or engineering bacteria. The list goes on and on. I mean, anatomy and physiology and genetics, are our bodies really full of vestigial organs and structures and junk DNA, or are these supposedly non-functional aspects of biology doing important things? ID predicts that we are going to find function in biology or in uh, cell biology, where ID encourages scientists to view cellular components as molecular machines, and it may help us to tease apart how systems work, what Paul Nelson calls design triangulation. You assume there's a logic to the way the cell works because it was designed with a purpose. So when you find uh, one part of a, of a system, you might assume that there's another part of a system that complements that system and helps them work together. Systematics, where people like Winston Ewart are using ID to help us better understand organismal relationships, coming up with ideas like the dependency graph based upon the way computer programmers and technology designers will reuse parts and components and programs that work in different technology designs. The list can go on and on here, Eric. The way that ID is guiding research, and we're funding research into many of these areas right now and seeing a lot of good fruit being born. So it's exciting to see ID be a paradigm or a heuristic to guide science, not just in theory, but also in practice. And I think it's a very exciting time to be an ID proponent right now. Yeah, that's a fantastic list. And I agree with you. It's a really exciting time. I think the best work in a lot of ways in this area is going forward. There's been so many great contributions over the years, but this new approach of saying, now, where do we go? Where do we take intelligent design? How can it contribute positively to our understanding of, of biology and the universe and the world? 
it's just a huge new area and there's so much great research going on. So, and I know you're, you're helping to spearhead that and lead that up. So appreciate all your work in that area, Casey. Well, thanks. And if you read the chapter in the Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith titled, What is the Positive Case for Design? I go through a much longer list of predictions and guidance that ID can give to science to do good research. So check out that chapter in the book if you want to get more details on how ID can serve as a paradigm to guide research. Fantastic. Well, Casey, thanks again for being with us to talk about this detailed new book and dive a little bit into a couple of your chapters on the foundational issues of intelligent design and these important contributions design thinking is making in scientific inquiry. It's been really great to have you here. Thanks a lot, Eric. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of ID the Future. To learn more about the evidence for design in nature and the critical intersection of science and faith, pick up your copy of the Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith, Exploring the Ultimate Questions about Life and the Cosmos. Join us again at idthefuture.com, on your podcast app of choice, or at our sister YouTube channel, Discovery Science. And as always, consider sharing a link with a friend. For ID the Future, I'm Eric Anderson. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Steve Meyer, and I want to thank you for being a regular listener of the ID the Future podcast. We appreciate your interest in intelligent design and the work we're doing to develop the case for the theory of intelligent design. And I'd like to encourage you, if you find these broadcasts edifying, intellectually or otherwise, to become a regular financial supporter of the work of the Center for Science and Culture. You may know that we depend entirely on private donations. We don't get any federal money. We don't get government money for our scientific research program. And if you find the work that we're doing interesting, we'd be awfully grateful if you'd consider becoming a partner in that work by providing whatever you're able to ensure that that work goes forward. To give, go to discovery.org slash ID slash donate. That's discovery.org slash ID slash donate. Thanks so much. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.